We're in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus. It comes from Ephesians 4, 8 through 13. It says, when Jesus left earth, he gave gifts to his people. Everybody get a sermon handout. There was two more. Raise your hand if you need one. Um, and, and he gave gifts to certain people to equip the church. Pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. Okay? And here's the titles of the sermons we've done so far. We got one through nine. The first five, we covered it. And then I'm going back and covering it again in a new light. We're going to play a game. Now, if you get these right, then today will be the last sermon in the series. If you get it wrong, I'm going to keep preaching until you get it right, okay? So I'm going to describe a gift, and you have to shout out which gift it is. Okay, which one helps you understand deep truths in the Word? Looks like today is not going to be the last sermon of the series. Teacher, which one is encouragement, 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 encouragement? prophet. Do y'all not listen to anything that I say? This is so embarrassing and we're recording this, people. I'm going to give you the answer. <clears throat> Which one helps lead people to Jesus and repentance? Oh, that one you know, okay. <laughs> Which one um, feeds you week after week after week after week? Which one equips you with a vision to go and start a ministry or to do something that builds the kingdom? Apostle. Hey, you didn't get that one right. Um, <laughs> which one protects you from the wolves? Good job. Which one is the most handsome? <laughs> Y'all suck. <laughs> Man, I really wanted to be done with the series, but we're not. We're going to do another 10 weeks after this, so that's right. Okay, so we've done it. <laughs> I can't believe how bad y'all did. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, y'all making me look bad in front of the visitors is what you're doing. So we got the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. Then we went back through. So, of course, part 10 is going to be a teacher. And so for your notes is this, teaching truth. Teaching truth is the title of today. I want you to know the reason that you come to this church or the reason you would go to any church is not to hear the pastor's life and personal opinions and beliefs. It is to hear the word of God. Because the Word of God is the only truth we have. We have nothing, no truth at all. And I know we think, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, you can be honest about what you think or feel, but you don't have the truth aside from the Word of God. That's the only truth we have. Um, it's kind of like a, a Google review, right? You read a Google review and somebody says, this restaurant was horrible, didn't like it, and I'm just going to tell them the truth about it. Well, that's not the whole truth. You know, they say in court, whole truth, nothing but the truth. If they found out that the chef got a text an hour before they arrived that his pregnant wife was in a car accident and the chef had to leave and somebody's cooking who had never cooked before, they wouldn't have left that review. Their truth would have changed. You understand? Um, uh, the reason that we don't, uh, our thoughts are not truth. The Word of God is truth. Our feelings are not truth. And it's because they change. Our feelings are up and down and we think this, we think that. The only truth we have is the Word of God. When we started our school back this year again for the second year, uh, we had only one crazy parent, which is good. Most of the time there's two or three, one crazy parent. And this lady comes in and she's blasting our principal and our administrator. And, and, and she's talking about somebody that worked for us last year. And, and he promised us this. And he said, da, 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 da. And she got so mad. She said, I'm going to go on social media and tell everybody the truth. And so they called me to um, smooth things over. And we've learned here at Solid Rock, if anyone ever needs to be smoothed over, I'm not the person that you call to do it, okay? 
So they put me on speakerphone, and so the principal and administrator are muting the phone, so I have accountability, which I forgot they were on the phone after a few minutes. And the lady's screaming at me, and I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to tell everybody the truth about the school. And I said, what's the truth? The truth is that y'all said this room and that room, and da, da, da. And first of all, she didn't even understand. We're building a new room. She was just going. I said, well, my truth is that you're crazy, and I've never heard anybody talk like you and call themselves a Christian and on and on. I know I did. <clears throat> But that was my truth. So who has the truth? Neither of us. We're just airing our thoughts, our opinions. We can be honest about how we feel, but only the Word of God has the truth. So John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. First Timothy 2, 4, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So here's my burden for today's sermon. Here's my burden. My burden is, is that God never asks us to be Christians through a blind leap of faith. God never says, I want you to believe in me, but there's no proof. He never says, hey, I want you to, to believe what I tell you, but you can't prove it, and there's no way you can understand it logically. It's all, you know, just this faith that comes out of your heart. No. Now, understand that salvation is a faith issue, is a heart issue, but God is also a very logical God. There's an entire book of the Bible called Proverbs that is dedicated to wisdom and common sense. God has common sense, and he doesn't want you to take this blind leap of faith and believe him. There's actually proof. He actually proves it in his creation that he's real. He actually proves it in his word that he's real. When Pilate came to Jesus, Jesus said to him in John 18, 37, the reason I was born in this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And Pilate asked, this is so, so ironic, Pilate asked the truth, what is truth? He was looking at the truth, and he said, what is truth? And then he walks away. So as a Christian, what I'm teaching you today is this. Truth is the number one goal. This is our goal as believers is to find out the truth, not through feelings, not through blind leaps of faith, but the Word of God is full of truth and it can be filtered. Uh, Winston Churchill said the truth is so valuable that it's guarded by a bodyguard of lies all around it. So how do we test the truth? Now, this is going to be, I want you to understand today's message is more cerebral than it is a heart thing. And that's because we're focused on the teacher gift, okay? So I'm going to try to reach your minds today. There are three um, filters that you have to put a question through to find out the, the truth to that question. Lawyers use what I'm going to tell you today. Courts use what I'm going to tell you today. And the Bible uses it as well. So there are three filters. Anytime you're seeking truth, there are three filters that, have to be, um, that we have to put the question through. And the three filters are this. Logical consistency. In other words, consistent truth for your notes. Empirical adequacy, which is historical truth. And experiential relevance, which is personal truth. Uh, logical consistency. Is there any contradictions in what is being said or taught? Do you see any contradictions? Remember, our focus is the Word of God today. Is there any contradictions in the Word of God? Historically, can it be proven by other people outside of the Word of God who saw it or who were there? And then personal truth. Can I find out myself and experience if this is actually true in my life and in the world? And the answer, of course, is yes. Now, here's the four, here's the four things we're looking at today. The four points, the four questions, these four questions is the, they're, they're, the, they're the four questions that must be answered for any worldview that is the truth. In other words, um, uh, if they're not answered, then a person's heart is not totally fulfilled. And the questions are this, origin, meaning, and morality, and destiny. Origin is where did we come from? How did we get here? Meaning is why am I here? 
morality. How do I define good and bad and right and wrong and destiny? What happens after I die? Now, just so you know, the only group on planet Earth, the only thing on planet Earth that can answer these four questions through our three filters is the Bible. No other group in the world can answer all four of these questions. None. Not a single one of them. With, with it making sense through the three filters. You understand where I'm at so far? Um, some religions can answer three, some can answer two, none can answer all four. Uh, these questions must be answered for a human soul to be fulfilled. It must be. And the only answers we have is the word on the planet, the only is the word of God. Now, Christianity is not a religion um, because every religion is about what we have to do to get to God. Christianity is the only group on earth about what a perfect all-powerful God did to get to us. That's what makes it so amazing, okay? So we're going to look at our four points today. We're going to put them all through those three filters that we talked about earlier and find out if we can have truth in the Word of God. Are you with me? Say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this too much for you? Are you okay? Okay, I don't want to lose you, okay? If I start to lose you, just raise your hand and we'll make fun of you and kick you out. Okay, number one is this. Origin. Where did I come from? How did I get here? Where did I come from? How did I get here? And of course, we know we came from God, but uh, we got to find out if this is truthful, truthful or not. Now, there's a lot of worldviews that says we just there was a big bang and we just kind of showed up. Okay, if I showed you this this globe right here, you see there's colors on it, there's shapes, there's letters that form words all over this globe. Do you see this? Um, if you were to find this somewhere. Is there a chance in a bazillion years that you would think this plastic globe with these colors and letters and, and shapes on there, that it just happened to show up by happenstance? Or would you say the more intelligent the finding, the more intelligent the source? The more intelligent the finding, the more intelligent the creator behind the finding. Is that what you would say logically, right? If, I, if you found a little uh, thing of Legos with a little car, you know, put together, you'd think, well, somebody five years old and up could have made that, right? If you go out and see a skyscraper, somebody five years old didn't build that. Obviously, the skyscraper was built by very intelligent people with an intelligent sequence and design. Are you with me? So is there any chance in a million years that you would see this and think it just came from nowhere or that two things collided and it showed up? You would never believe that, right? Okay, forget this. What if I found for you a, a globe that weighs six sextillion tons and travels at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun? Would you say that that came from an intelligent being or it just blew up and showed up somewhere? Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. We came from God. Um, Charles Darwin in 1859 created the theory of evolution, uh, which is actually in a lot of uh, our books that our children study in public schools, the theory of evolution. What's interesting is the very man that came up with it, Charles Darwin, has two chapters in his book of Origin of Species that are dedicated to the doubt of his theory. And he said that the way to... Charles Darwin said the way to doubt the theory of evolution is to simply study the human enzyme. And here's why. The possibility of the human enzyme coming together by chance is 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. He also, they also, some students actually created an analogy to help you understand 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power, and that is this. If somebody took a set of die, two, two dice, right, a, a set of dice, a set of dies, two dies, and there was dice. Okay, there's two of them is the point. And they rolled sixes on both of them 50,000 times in a row. That is the chance that the human enzyme just happened to come together um, by just colliding. Now, which one seems to be more of a leap of faith? 
Is it a greater leap of faith to believe we came from nothing? <clears throat> or is it a greater leap of faith to believe we came from a, It's easy. It should be easy to believe we came from an intelligent being because of studying the intelligent creation. Are you with me? Okay. Um, it's actually scientifically impossible to claim that God doesn't exist. And here's why. To claim that someone or something does not exist, you'd have to have all knowledge of that subject. If I said that, uh, if you told me, if you said there's no such person in the world named Daryl Strawberry, I would say, do you know the name of every person in the world? You'd say no. Well, if you don't know the name of every person in the world, how can you say there's somebody that does not have, the, there's nobody with the name Daryl Strawberry? You have to know everything about the subject, right? Okay, Psalms 14.1 says only a fool, and that fool is actually the word for moron. Only a moron says in his heart there is no God, because it's impossible to say that. Now, <clears throat> The smartest man in the world right now is Kim Ung Young. He has an IQ of 220, and when he was two years old, he was fluent in four languages at two years old. He possesses 2% of all knowledge on earth. That's every single um, historical book ever written of every culture, of every continent, every language, every verb, noun, subject. The whole. He has 2% of all knowledge. Is it possible that in the 98% of all knowledge that you don't possess, that someone exists whom you know nothing about. Is that possible? Of course, because you don't know everything. So it's, it's scientifically impossible to say God doesn't exist. And here's the thing. In order for me to say there is somebody named Daryl Strawberry, I don't have to know the name of every person on planet Earth. I only have to know one person, Daryl Strawberry. And I can say he is real, because I know him, and we're best buddies, and we text all the time. I can tell you that God exists for a fact, and here's why. I know him personally, and we talk on a daily basis. I don't have to have all knowledge. I just have to have the knowledge of God. You with me? So that's origin. Okay, point number two for your notes is this. <clears throat> meaning. Why am I here? Why am I on this planet? What gives my life meaning? Now, most people are most... Um, people that are not Christians, believe that we are just time, matter, and chance. They believe that we're metaphysical, almost like a computer, almost like a robot, that we're just, we're just put together by wires and that we don't have a soul. Because scientifically, science, scientists can't prove that we, they, they can't say you have a soul because they can't figure out where the soul came from. So if we are just metaphysical and we don't have a soul, then why does it hurt when we see a person who's going through pain? Why does it hurt, why does it crush our, for the, for the lack of a scientific phrase, why does it crush our heart when we see tragedy in life? It's because we have a soul. And the meaning of our life is to love God and love people. That's why we're here, love God. It hurts when we see somebody in pain. There's a famous picture, and I'll put it up on the screen. It's called the picture of the vulture and the little girl. girl. They actually, you can see, they actually discovered um, that it was actually a little boy, but he was so malnourished, the picture was named the vulture and little girl. And this little boy is actually about to starve to death. He was on his way to get food. He had another, I think, three miles to walk in order to get some food, and he collapsed. And there's a vulture waiting to eat him. There was a photographer there. The photographer took the picture and, of course, got the little boy some help, and he managed to get food. Uh, but the picture became a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize-winning picture. It went all over the world. When it was taken, it became famous. He won all these awards. But day after day, he looked at this picture that he took, day in and day out. And four months after he took the picture, he committed suicide. Here's why. He had a soul. And it hurt him 
And he could not continue to live knowing that there are children out there that are facing things like that. It's because we're not metaphysical. Our purpose on earth is to love God and love people. Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To give love and to receive love is why we are here. Now, um, if God, people say things, well, if, if our job, if God put us here and he wants us to love other people, why is there so many bad things on earth? Why are so many bad things happening? And it's because we have the free will to love. It's not uh, love if you strap somebody in a chair and you force them to do it and force them to spend time with you. The only way love is possible is you have a free will to choose not to love, right? Um, If we're robots, uh, for instance, your dishwasher, whenever your dishwasher washes the dishes, you don't clap and celebrate because it was programmed to do that. It has to do it. But if your husband washes the dishes, you clap and celebrate because he's making the choice to do something that shows love. Are you with me? Okay, the reason there's evil in the world, evil is in the world because the world has departed from God's meaning for life, which is to love God and love people. It's a violation of our free will if God stops us and forces us to do the right thing. Why did God let this person starve? Why did God let this bullet leave the gun? Why did God let this person get blown up? Why did God do all these things? Okay, that's all because there's evil in the world. And you say, well, I want God to stop all the bad things. What you really mean is, I want God to stop the things that hurt me. And, and if you really want God to do that, then just, just ask him to force you to not eat anything that's unhealthy so you can live longer to help people. Ask him to force you. are never allowed to eat a donut ever again. Ask him to force you to spend your money every penny the exact way he wants to and give all of it to the poor and all these other. See, you don't want God to violate your free will. You just want God to force other people to do the right thing, not you right okay so love God love people let me read you some scriptures about how much God wants to be in your life which is the meaning for life Genesis 17 8 I'll give you the land and I will be your God Exodus 6 7 I'll take you among people and I will be your God Exodus 29 45 I'll dwell among them and I will be their God Leviticus 26 12 I'll walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people Leviticus 26 45 remember I, I have brought them out of bondage that I might be their God Ezekiel 11 20 they may walk in my ways and they will be my people and I shall be their God Ezekiel 14 11 no longer stray from me be my people and I'll be your God. Ezekiel 37, 23. I'll deliver them from their sins and cleanse them. They'll be my people and I will be their God. Isaiah 43, 3. I am the Lord your God, your Savior. Isaiah 49, 26. All of mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, Redeemer, and God. Jeremiah 7, 23. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you'll be my people. Jeremiah 30, 22. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Jeremiah 31, 33. I'll put my law within them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hosea 13, 4. I have been the Lord your God and you will never know another God except me. Zechariah, Hosea, Zechariah 8 8 I will bring them back and they shall be my people and I'll be their God Hebrews 8 10 I'll put my law in their minds and their hearts I'll be their God and they shall be my people 2 Corinthians 6 16 I'll dwell among them I'll be their God and they shall be my people Revelation 21 3 I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold God is among men they shall be his people and he will be their God he wants to be in your life that is the common thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation he just wants to be in your life You want meaning? Surrender your life to God. That's where we get our meaning. Point number three for your notes is this, morality. Morality. How do I define right and wrong, good and bad? This is the, the Christianity is the only, the only logical and consistent and personal truth that tells us how to treat people. It is full of God's morals and it never, ever, ever changes. Um, A lot of humanity believes that morality should be subjective. 
uh, that you should just do what you feel is right. The only problem with that is the people who think that, they also lock their doors at night. Because they don't want other people to have subjective morality. They want to have subjective morality. They want to do what they feel is right without anyone dictating morals to them. They don't want other people to do that. The problem with that, too, is that in some cultures, it's good to bake your neighbor a pie. And in some cultures, they eat their neighbors. So how do you know what's right or wrong, you know? And so we get ours, of course, from the Word of God. Uh, it can't come from earthly law. Our morals can't come from the earthly law because that's always changing. Slavery was okay 150 years ago. So if you think the law, the, the earthly law, should dictate to you what is right and wrong, what about Hitler? He made the law. Is that right or wrong? How do we get our morals? It has to come from the Word of God. Um, Psalms 19.7, the Word of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. Psalm 18.30, the Word of God is perfect and faultless. He shields all who take refuge in it. Uh, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I do not change. It's been the same from Genesis to Revelation. It's full of the morals of how we treat people. What are we going to do when our government says that a man can have three wives? Or that children can get married? They let them choose their own gender, so let them get married when they're eight years old. 15, 13, 12. What are we going to do then? We have to make sure our morals come from the Word of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Those four words, given by inspiration of God. I'm going to show you the Greek word. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction on how to live the right way or in righteousness. That given by inspiration of God is the Greek word theonoustos. It comes from theo meaning God, noustos, air, breathe. It's like a pneumatic drill, which I'm told is a drill that is an air drill, pneumatic drill. So when God breathed, when God breathed, the word, the perfect word came out and men scripted it. Now, I need you to understand, because I'm about to prove to you how perfect the Bible is, because that's where we get our morals from. I'm going to prove to you it's perfect. Before I do, I need you to understand how amazing it is that it was actually written down by people and not God, and yet it's still perfect, okay? So um, uh, there's a song. Um, it's, um, it's a Stevie Wonder song. It's a... Uh Okay, who wrote that song? Who wrote the song? Stevie Wonder wrote the song. So you're telling me Stevie Wonder pulled out a piece of paper, drew a music staff, and put the notes of the song on there and wrote down the words. Is that what Stevie Wonder did? Okay, he's blind. So if you thought that's what he did, then you don't know Stevie Wonder. No, we still say he wrote the song, but somebody else had to pin it. Are you with me? Who wrote Psalms? Who wrote Genesis? Who wrote Revelation? Okay, but somebody else pinned it. Do you understand how the Bible worked? Okay, so here's what's so amazing about this. Um, God could have reached down. We know God can write. Remember the story in the Old Testament where the hand of God showed up and wrote on the wall? God, it's amazing that he had men write it. 44 men over a 1,500-year period, and it's, it's completely cohesive all the way through. Um, I, was, I found a story about this doctoral student who was doing his dissertation and he disagreed with the process. The process was everything you say has to be written down, has to be documented, everything you say. So during his dissertation, after every wise or very incredible statement, he would say something like this, as was told to me by my high school principal. And then he'd say something else, he'd say, as was told to me by the CEO of so-and-so. He'd say something else, as was told to me by Dr. So-and-so. Finally, one of the professors stopped him and said, you can't do this. You have to have written documentation for all of your sources. The young man said, why is it so important that it has to be written? Why can't it just be verbal? 
They argued back and forth, and finally, the professors conceded to him. After a few months, <clears throat> a few months later, the young man got a call from his working professor. He said, congratulations, you've passed. You're going to get your Ph.D. We're not going to give it to you in writing. We just want you to take our word for it. <clears throat> he said, I'd rather have it in writing, okay? Okay, so the mathematical odds that the Bible's 66 books are as congruent as it is with 44 writers over 1,500 years is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, which is 100 quadrillion. Before I became a Christian, before I fully surrendered my life to Jesus, I actually spent maybe a few years trying to disprove the Bible. In every way I could, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. Now, I want to give you an analogy to help you understand 100 quadrillion. Okay, here's a, 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 an analogy for that. You know a silver dollar, right? Silver dollar. If you get enough silver dollars to lay on every square foot of the ground of all of South Carolina, all of North Carolina, all of Florida, all of Georgia, all of Virginia, and all of West Virginia, and they're butted up to each other, covered, the whole, all those states are covered in silver dollars, and then you mark one of the silver dollars, and you blindfold somebody and you send them out. The mathematical odds that the one time they reach down to pick up a silver dollar is the very one that you marked. Those are the mathematical odds that the Bible is as congruent as it is, mathematically speaking. Do you know why the Bible is so perfect? Because the author of it is perfect. The collusion factor in itself is a miracle. It should be easy to disprove the Bible. I mean, they have, they have <coughs> locations written all through there. They have people's names. They have things that took place. It should be easy to disprove the Bible. Even the other, there are 99.6 historical books of the world have proven the Bible and everything in it. It's amazing. Um, if you deny the inerrancy, the perfection, the, in, the, infil, the inf, infallibility of the Bible, you are also denying that God authored it, and it's because God is perfect. So if you ever think there's something wrong with the Bible, you're saying there's something wrong with God, he's perfect. Okay, point number four for your notes is this. Destiny. What happens when I die? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever <coughs> believes in him won't die but will have everlasting life. I want you to know that this is the most inclusive statement you could ever have. There's no more of an inclusive statement than the word whoever. We'll take anybody. We'll take anybody. God will take anyone to be in his life and to bring them to heaven to live with him. Anybody. We'll take murderers. We'll take rapists. We'll take um, agnostics, formerly agnostics, formerly atheists. We'll take, um, we'll take any, any, any person from any background. Anyone, whoever wants to win. Here's the thing. When you decide to believe, he's going to change your heart. He's going to change the things, there, and he's going to make you more like, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to give your life meaning, and he's going to teach you how to love him and love people. So once you come to him, then he actually changes all the things that's wrong with you. It's the only group in the world where we go to God with horribleness inside of us. Every other group is you got to do this and do this and walk this way and talk this way and be perfect, and then you come. It's the only one in the world where you come just like whoever. <clears throat> so if, if, if God wants everybody to be in heaven with him and in relationship with him, why doesn't he do something about it? Romans 1.19 says God is evident. He's made manifest to them in their inner consciousness, 
because God himself has shown it to them. Ever since God created the world, we talked about that. How can, how can, you, how can you find anything and think that it came from nothing? It's never happened before. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities are clearly seen through the things he's made so that people have no excuse at all. God will speak to you through his creation. He'll speak to you through your conscience. He'll speak to you through your friends. He'll speak to you through your thoughts. He'll speak to you and speak to you and speak to you. He'll give you every chance possible to choose to surrender to him, every chance possible. There's a true story about a, a famous uh, missionary uh, evangelist named Samuel Morris. There's a picture of him up there. His name didn't start off Samuel Morris. His, his name was actually Kabu when he was born. And Prince Kabu lived in the 1800s in the Crew tribe in Liberia. At 14 years old, another tribe invaded his tribe and they kidnapped him as prisoner. The tribe who took him, they would allow Prince Kabu's father, who was the king, to see him once a month if the king would bring gifts to that other tribe and everyone there. Eventually, Prince Kabu's father ran out of gifts, so they began to torture and beat the child on a daily basis. Finally, one day, he was lying in a cage, all chained up and in bondage, and he cried out in his own language, If there is a God, please save me. He told how a bright light came from the sky, and he heard a voice that said, Run. He looked down, and all of his chains had fallen off, and his cage was unlocked. He ran and ran and ran and ran, and he lived in the jungle for several weeks, surviving off of mango and snails. He finally comes to a coffee plantation owned by a former slave. So he works for the former slave. That former slave starts sharing the gospel, telling him about Jesus. So Prince Kabu says, I think that's the guy that told me to run. So he gives his life to Jesus. Kabu wants to learn more, so the plantation owner said, well, there was a man from New York City that came in and told me about Jesus. So Kabu finds the closest docks, finds a ship going to New York. He tells the captain of the ship he wants to work for passage to New York. The captain says, I don't need any more workers. While they're in the conversation, two of the captain's employees walk up and quit right there. The captain looks at Kabu and says, you're hired. Kabu gets to New York City. It takes him a month to finally find the man who led the plantation owner to Jesus. He was a pastor. The man asked Kabu to wait outside of his church while he's in a meeting. While Prince Kabu was outside on the streets waiting for 30 minutes, he leads over 20 men to Jesus right there on the street just simply telling his story. When Kabu turns 18 years old, he goes to Taylor University in Indiana to study the Bible, changes his name to Samuel Morris, and this man has led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus, training them for missions and sending them to Africa. The point is this, Samuel Kabu Morris cried out to God, God set him free and changed his life. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I'll answer you and I'll tell you great and mighty things. Psalms 20, verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves. He'll answer me from his holy heaven. Zechariah 10, 6, I am the Lord their God. I will answer them. Proverbs 8, 17, those who diligently seek me will find me. Deuteronomy 4, 29, if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find the Lord your God. Luke 11, 9, seek him and you will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Psalms 22, 26, those who seek the Lord will praise him and live forever. Psalms 69, 32, you will live if you seek God. Psalms 107.13, when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he saved them and broke away their chains. Matthew 7, 8, everyone who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. Isaiah 58, 9, when you call the Lord, the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you have not found God, it's because you've never looked for him. 
That's the only reason. Romans 10, 13, the most inclusive word. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No person can ever say, God rejected me. But God can say every single day to thousands of people, you rejected me. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Only a relationship with God can give you the answer to those four questions. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We want to just take a few minutes for the Holy Spirit to speak to each one in this room today. I pray that you leave this place with more faith than you had when you came in. You might not understand everything in the Bible, but I want you to know it is 100% the most perfect and amazing and powerful possession you could ever have on you. I'm going to give another call to salvation today. We have baptisms later on today and Maybe, um, maybe you've been wanting to make that step. So if you're here today, heads bowed, ask, but if you're here today and Jesus is not the Lord of your life and maybe you've been lacking faith, maybe you thought that it was a blind leap of faith and you had to just trust this, you know, trust what some pastor said and kind of bet your soul on it. You are betting your soul, but it's not on what I said. It's on God. So if you're here today and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and we're all going to say a prayer together. So hands up right now. One, two, three, four, five, twenty-five, twenty-six, seven. Okay, leave your hands up. Everybody in the room, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Because I'm not perfect. But you are. Come into my life. Change me starting today and every day for the rest of my life. I repent of my sins. I thank you for dying for me and rising three days later from the grave so that I don't have to go there. <laughs> I surrender myself to you. Take me, all of me, especially the bad stuff, and change me. I love you, and I want to keep loving you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Stand to your feet this morning.